despite the administration's signals around climate change, 64% of U.S. adults say they are very worried about climate change. So there is support nationally for leadership. And we know that coming out of the Paris Agreement and the recent meeting in Marrakesh, the next four years will really determine whether or not we're able to deliver on the, the Paris Agreement. So the next four years are going to be critical. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Hey everyone, welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio. This is your host, Mike Hancocks. And with us today is our good friend, Kate Meese, the Executive Director of the Local Government Commission, our partners in the production of this podcast. Welcome, Kate. Hi, I'm glad to be here. So we're closing in on the one-year anniversary here at Infinite Earth Radio, and I, uh, we decided we would do a show where we would reflect a little bit on the podcast, um, how it's going to date. It's also the first podcast we've done since the election, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we recently completed a survey of the local government commission's membership, and we want to talk about the implications of that survey that we did and uh, what the results are and, and some of the implications for what we're going to be doing here at Infinite Earth Radio going forward. So, um, so Kate, uh, we've been at this for about a year. Any, how's your feeling as to how we're doing and how the podcast has gone so far? Well, it's been a great process from from our side of things. I, our mission really is to get the word out about great projects and policies that can be scaled and implemented in communities across the nation with the goal of improving those communities, making them more livable and sustainable. So to be able to reach the number of folks we've reached through these podcasts has been really rewarding. And to be able to provide some visibility to our partners, to some of our Civic Spark fellows who are volunteering close to a year of their time to work with local communities. It's been really exciting for them and for the rest of our, our partners and our board members. So we've really enjoyed being able to, to do this in partnership with you. Yeah. And I think from our perspective, we're equally committed to this idea of spreading the best ideas and spurring innovation at the local and regional level. Uh, we think that that's so hugely important for the future of sustainability and equity. Um, and we learned a lot along the way. We, you know, we've done, I think we've had some fantastic guests. We've had some really great podcasts. Um, it's, but it's been a learning curve. And I think we look forward to really taking what we've learned and really ramping it up in the, in the second year of the podcast. And I think that this need for innovation and movement on sustainability and equity issues at the local and regional level has really been amplified by the, um, by the recent election. So I just kind of wondering what your thoughts are on that, Kate, and how you see the election impacting sustainability and equity efforts moving forward. Sure. Yeah. We've been thinking quite a bit about this, as you can imagine, 
One of the biggest concerns we have is around our leadership on climate change because President-elect Trump has been pretty vocal about stripping the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA's powers, and eliminating the Clean Power Plan. There are questions about how quickly that could happen and whether that could happen, but it has us concerned in it. We are concerned that uh, Marlena Bell was picked to lead the EPA transition team, who's a well-known climate denier. So we definitely have been thinking about this, despite the administration's signals around climate change. 64% of U.S. adults say they are very worried about climate change. So there is support nationally for leadership. And we know that coming out of the Paris Agreement and the recent meeting in Marrakesh, the next four years will really determine whether or not we're able to deliver on the the Paris Agreement. So the next four years are going to be critical. So that is why we're concerned about the signals we're getting from the administration. But that said, climate change leadership has always happened at the, the subnational level, so at the level of cities, regions, and, and states. So we've seen the, the bipartisan U.S. Conference of Mayors Climate Protection Agreement that started in 2005, California's landmark Global Warming Solutions Act, AB 32, was signed by a Republican governor. We now have California leading on the under two MOU, which is an agreement to limit the increase in global average temperature to below 2 degrees Celsius, which climate scientists agree would be the the tipping point uh, where we'd really see irreversible damage. So we've had 11 other states and provinces sign on to that agreement, representing more than $4.5 trillion in GDP and 100 million people. So no matter what happens with the new administration, we are seeing strong signals that states are going to continue to lead, that cities are going to continue to lead. Uh, we had St. Petersburg, Florida just became the 20th city to pledge to move its electricity generation to 100% renewable. So we are seeing leadership continue, and that's going to be critical moving forward. Uh, the other thing I would say is that you know, the market is moving in this direction as well. So whatever happens at the federal level, we had 365 American companies, including Mars, Nike, Levi Strauss, and Starbucks, urge President-elect Trump and Congress not to abandon the Paris Climate Pact. That failure to build a low-carbon economy they said, would put the American prosperity at risk. And they indicated that they would move forward with their targets. So either way, we are seeing a shift away from coal because natural gas is cheaper, because solar is getting more and more affordable. We're seeing public-private partnerships to increase energy efficiency. Just here in, in California, we have the HERO program. They've already invested $2 billion in energy efficiency and renewable energy projects, resulting in 16,000 jobs and $3.3 billion reduction in utility bills. So the momentum is there and we'll continue to, to see that no matter what happens at the federal level. Yeah, I, I think that the, you know, while clearly the indications at the federal level are, are less than positive, I think that there's, it will be interesting to see how some of these things play out because I do think in particularly in in the Senate, 
there are uh, Republicans who are, and some surprising Republicans, right? Like Senator Murkowski from Alaska, who, while being pro oil, is also um, facing you know issues with climate change in her home state, and has acknowledged the need to do something about man-made climate change. So it, it may, they may not have a, a free ride with Congress as as much as people think that they might. And people who might have, um, you know, these political positions, sometimes it's easy to take one position when you don't think anything's going to happen. Um, but but it'd be interesting to see how that actually all plays out with, with the administration. But I think you're right. I think it, it really plays to the importance of the leadership has always been at the subnational level, and it and it's just going to be more importantly so over the next four years. Yeah, and the other area that advocates and practitioners in the sustainability space are paying a lot of attention to is around infrastructure, and that's something that President-elect Trump has spoken a lot about and seems to be passionate about investing in the the urban core and. Um, the infrastructure plan that he's come out with doesn't have a lot of details now. So it's, it's hard to see how exactly that is going to roll out. Certainly a a focus on privatization, which, you know, there, there could be some big investments that make a real difference in communities and um, particularly in, in some of the, the urban cores, which could be very positive. My concern would be that if we're focused on privatization, what does that mean for critical public benefit type projects or just projects that are urgently needed? I think of Flint, Michigan and the water pipes and and the I think it's close to a trillion dollars we would need to repair our water infrastructure. So if there's not a return on investment for private companies to invest in a project like that, does it just not happen? That would be my concern. And and we see that with other sorts of infrastructure that may be needed, uh, transportation infrastructure, funding public transit to provide options for folks that don't have a car. That's, that's critical. There are local ballot measures that have been very successful. Voters approved 75% of local ballot measures on election day. So that is another option that cities and and counties can pursue to make sure that community projects, their priorities for those communities continue to get funded, whether or not they have a high return on investment for private companies or private investors. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, our our focus, the local government commissions and this podcast focus has always been on supporting innovation at the local level and spreading those ideas. and, And that has always seemed to be the always for whatever issue is kind of always seem to be how things get done. So, you know, we did this survey. Should we talk a little bit about the survey that we did just before the election of uh, your, um, your membership? Sure. So we have over 700 members, local government members, a mix between elected officials, staff, and then nonprofit organizations I think we had about 300 that replied to the survey, a mix of nonprofits and local government staff. And we were trying to narrow in on what their key issues are, both in terms of uh, sector issues and then also just generally what is inhibiting them from sustainability progress. A couple of themes that really rose to the, the top of the list 
were around public education and leadership. And I think this continues to be a huge challenge. And we see this play out at the local level. And we also really saw this play out during the election as well. We, we didn't have either candidate talking about climate change. We did have some conversation about urban revitalization, um, but not as much as, as really I would have liked to see. So part of that comes down to how do we hold this balance of critical current needs, um, whether that's economic needs, needs for, for access to more jobs or access to transportation. Here in California, we and a lot of other places around the nation, we have a huge affordable housing crisis. So if, if you're not able to, to make your rent or your mortgage payment, you're struggling to find a job, you know, it's really hard to hold that with what is seen as a, a future risk like climate change, uh, even though we know that we're, we're facing the impacts now and those are only going to get more severe. So we have a challenge with both the public and then similarly with local elected officials and, and state officials and, you know, at the, the national level as well to, to tie these things together and show how climate impacts and the decisions we make around how we develop our cities impact those, those day-to-day decisions as well. It impacts job availability. When we're talking about these renewable energy programs and energy efficiency programs, those are job creators. When we're talking about um, transit investments that are um, more sustainable, those are ways for people that don't have other means to get around. So we need to be able to connect the dots in a way that relates to people's day-to-day experience. And once we do that, then we have the political will, we have the constituency base that local policymakers or policymakers at any level need to step forward on um, a position and to really be a champion on some of these issues. I think that it's be very easy for the Republicans to misinterpret the results of the election because um, I, I think that their election was much more about change and, and, and a little quite a bit about identity. I think um, President-elect Trump was seen as the outsider and people were voting against kind of the status quo. Uh, and I think that um, Secretary Clinton had a, kind of a long history of service in Washington that did not serve her well in the election. But if you look issue by issue, the vast majority of, like you said, 64% of adults are very concerned about climate change. Um, folks are very concerned about equity issues. So on an, on an issue by issue basis, what we've been talking about here at, at Infinite Earth Radio and what you guys work on at the local government commission is clearly kind of a majority opinion. So it will be interesting to see how it, how it plays out going forward. Um, I think the other interesting thing about your, uh, the survey that was conducted, uh, it was interesting to me to see, I think one of the things I gleaned out of the, out of the answers from folks was there was a real concern about how do we do these things? How do we work on issues of sustainability and equity when our workload is already so great? And mm-hmm. I think the, so the other challenge, in addition to tying this all together and communicating it and keeping the public education and leadership in line is figuring out helping folks who are working in local government figure out ways that they can work on issues of equity and sustainability within the context of the work that they currently do. So how has it become not something additional that we need to work on, but how do we embed it into the things that we're already doing? I think that's exactly right. And, and 
that's connected to another theme that came across in the survey, which is the siloed nature of the work. So uh, a lot of communities that are lucky enough to have sustainability positions, sustainability officers or managers, they are often separate from these other departments uh, and not necessarily in a, a position of power working directly for the mayor or for the city manager. So, you know, that person is then in a position to go around to these other departments and do what feels like, you know, really adding another piece to their work when really these issues need to be integrated in, in everything we do. The city of Richmond here in California is a, a great example where they, from the top leadership said, health needs to be integrated in, in every single thing that we do. So, you know, whether you work at Public Works or another, you know, in the planning department, we are all public health officials. So they really embedded that and that really that had to come from leadership at the top, but also commitment from all the, the line level staff as well. And the other piece of the siloed nature is the funding is very siloed. So when you're looking for funding from your regional metropolitan planning organization or from state departments or the federal government, um, you're looking for very specific funding sources. So you're looking for, you know, Department of Transit funding for transit you're look, or transportation investments. You're looking for public health investments from the public health department. And so you end up having to write these fundraising proposals for something that is very specific and limited when really the types of projects that will provide the the highest amount of benefits for the public investment are going to be these integrated projects that meet mobility needs, that meet equity needs, that meet sustainability needs. So we need to continue to push, and we certainly are at the Local Government Commission, on our state agencies to break down some of those silos and provide an incentive for departments to work cross-department and to work with partners from NGOs and from some of the the non-traditional places to really implement these integrated projects. Yeah, I think that's fantastic, the work you guys are doing. And and it's so important. And I think the other thing that I think one of the other things I gleaned out of the survey results that you know, just gives me tremendous hope is I think that there's a very high level of literacy amongst local government officials on the importance of issues of equity and sustainability. I think that there, you know, what we heard from a lot of folks is that there's, um, you know, there's a lot of barriers in terms of things like inertia or existing policies and approaches and uh, resistance to change. But there was certainly, a, they, they, they certainly expressed a, a pretty high level of knowledge about the issues of sustainability and resiliency. So if we can help them figure out how to overcome some of those barriers, the siloed funding, um, create new models of how people collaborate with each other, um, help them think about how to embed new thinking into old processes or existing processes so it doesn't become additional work, then there's room to make a tremendous amount of progress on these issues. I think that's right. And I, th- this didn't necessarily come out through the survey, but it occurs to me because of what we saw in the election. And that was, we saw a really big split in, in the way people were voting between urban areas and rural areas. And so it, it occurs to me, we really need to be thoughtful moving forward about what that means for the work that we do. I, 
you talked about, we both talked about the majority of Americans believing in climate change and being cognizant of equity issues and committed to addressing some of those. But, you know, the majority of the population is in these urban centers, and we need to continue to do that work to connect what's happening at the, the urban level to the rural areas where, you know, we're seeing a, a lot of the investment go to the urban areas and the rural areas um, feeling left behind and for some good reasons because, you know, that the investment isn't going there in the same way. So, you know, we need to think about how we can assure that the urban users are are in some way paying for or being connected to what's happening in the rural areas around um, watershed management and uh, forest management and all these other pieces that that connect us through through water and through um, fires if if that management isn't correctly done. So we have so much interdependencies, and I think we haven't been thoughtful enough in in how to to bridge those relationships and provide a, a funding stream in some other way to connect the work that needs to happen across jurisdictions. Yeah, and I think even to go even a, a step beyond that, it's critically important. A lot of the stuff that I've read since the election is about kind of the, the feeling that the suburban and rural voters kind of feel disrespected by the mm-hmm. urban voters and feel like there's a, a lot of what I've been reading about has been really about the identity issues that folks who are in rural and suburban locations, they may agree on issues with fundamentally agree with issues on folks who are in the in more urban areas, but they feel like those people don't understand them, that they don't understand their issues and concerns and, and making sure that those, not just that we're connecting, but that we're actually respecting those folks and really understanding the value that they bring to the table. Absolutely. So that brings us to kind of, you know, where do we go from here? We're going to run out of time here on the podcast, so maybe we can just take a few minutes to share with the audience what we're doing in in response to the election results and in response to the survey results to really deepen our commitment, SKIOs, the local government commissions, and here at Infinite Earth Radio, our commitment to fostering more innovation and progress at the local and, as you would call, the subnational level. So should take a minute to do that? Sure. Yeah. From the local government's perspective, it's more critical than ever to continue to provide technical assistance and capacity to cities, counties, regions, to other state, to to states, period, to continue to create the momentum needed around climate change and equity and sustainability. So, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of good things happen, but we really need to scale that up and, and scale it out as well. So we're committed through our National New Partners for Smart Growth Conference, which will be in St. Louis in, in the beginning of February, to really advancing um the best practices that are already happening and to developing those peer connections to to really ramp that up. So we'll continue to do that. And then working with you, Mike, and with SKIO, going deeper in the, the technical assistance we can provide. And I'll let you provide the details on what that's going to look like. Great. So yeah, so collectively, we're really pleased with the progress on Infinite Earth Radio, but we, we're going to kind of expand the brand in the coming year to what we're calling Infinite Earth Academy. And that, that will include the podcast, but the Academy is really committed to this idea of 
you know, transmitting knowledge and really leveraging resources to help folks at the local level, leaders at the local level, whether they be local officials, whether they be elected officials or community organizations, how to give them the tools and the information that they need to be more effective. So we're going to do that through the podcast and we're going to really double down on our efforts with the podcast this year and try to improve on what we've done. We're also starting a series of free online trainings, the first of which will be on December 13th. It will be about equitable development and practice, the idea of uh, how do we use existing functions and uh, processes at the local level to uh, improve and expand on equity within communities. And if folks want to register for that online training, they can do so. It's a free training that they can register online for at infiniteearthradio.com slash webinar. And again, that's coming up on December 13th. The other thing that we're doing, so we're going to, we're going to do this free series of webinars and then we're working on a, what we're calling infinite earth lab, which will be a, a 12 module training program to really address a lot of the issues and concerns we heard people express in the survey results that we've got to help them um, be more effective within their organizations and within their community. And uh, that pro- program is under development currently. Uh, it, but we have a special offer for folks who want to sign up early for that. They'll get a very special price. If they go to the newpartners.org website and when they register for the conference, they can add on uh, for $97, they can add on this training program that's going to launch in February. For those folks who are not attending the conference, um, stay tuned to Infinite Earth Radio because we will be announcing the official launch of the program and there will be some discounts for folks who want to join early and take advantage of the training. But I think it's going to be a pretty amazing program that we're putting together and uh, folks will get a lot out of it. It will help them think through the whole process of how do I take my ideas and put them into fruition at the local level. And then the fourth thing that we're working on is we're really very excited about is what we're at the moment calling uh, the Infinite Earth Mastermind Program. And what we're hoping to do is figure out how to provide very leveraged technical assistance and support to folks at the local level who may not be able to afford hiring outside consultants on a regular basis to work on projects, or they may not be at the point where they have a project that they could hire an outside consultant, but bring to them a lot of expertise in a very leveraged way to help them move projects forward. Um, And we're thinking that we're going to be announcing that at the New Partners for Smart Growth Conference, we'll actually announce the beta version of that program. But that'll be a year-long intensive program where we work side-by-side with communities. We'll get together a couple of times a year. We'll do some brainstorming with the folks. We'll work with them to help them develop plans and strategies. And then we'll work alongside them to give them advice and guidance on how to, how to make progress in their community and, and implement those projects. So we're really excited about that. We'll have a, a lot more information on that in the coming weeks and months. And we're really excited. We, we, we think that there's just a great opportunity here to leverage new technologies and new approaches rather than following the old approaches to help communities move forward. So Kate, is there anything you want to add about those things? I think it's a, it's a great opportunity. Like you said, many communities can't afford to hire consultants and 
hiring consultants doesn't always bring in that peer-to-peer learning that something like the mastermind can provide, which I think is going to be really critical. So we're really excited about it. So any words of encouragement or um, last words of wisdom for our audience for today, Kate? <laughs> I don't know about words of wisdom, but just keep up the, the good work. I, we've got a, a lot of hard work to, to do. And certainly I feel like we really have the resilience as Americans. We're used to, we're used to, you know, really picking up our pace and, and being creative and innovative in the face of any sort of adversity. So I have a lot of confidence and hope that we can get to where we need to be. And, you know, certainly we'll see the, the benefits and the rewards at the community level where we're working. So enjoy the holidays, everybody. And thanks so much for the work you do. Great. Kate, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com. Or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.